everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. I kind of picture Janine Garofalo's dance in Reality Bites. When oh, that, yeah. like How she would dance to that. That's a good one. Yeah. If we could get Janine to come on by, I would appreciate that. Yeah, Janine, we just give you a shout out. I know you live somewhere around here. <laughs> right? I love her. <laughs> and yes, I know exactly what you're talking about, strangely. Where have you been, Janine? <laughs> Being politic. All over the place. Yeah. I love her. Me okay. Too. So today on the show, we're going to talk about I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is a documentary series about the Golden State Killer. But first, I wanted to mention a couple things. Maybe we'll do this on the regular, but I wanted to mention that I have had a lot of feedback from people about our Teal Swan episode, and I just wanted to shout out those people because it's been really positive. I actually had another person reach out to me this morning uh, and, and talk about how they were really, you know, inspired by it and they're doing their own thing. And they thought it was a really good episode and something I had said about the word healer and, and that kind of thing. And this person runs in those type of circles and had actually had a friend in their meditation class say like, Hey, you got to check out Teal Swan. She's amazing. Wow. This kind of thing. And which doesn't surprise me because like you and I know watching some of what she says or listening to to some of the things she says, it's very like on the cusp of kind of sounding. Absolutely. I mean, I know. And we, and I understand and, and there's not been any, huge controversy or anything like that about her, you know? And so I understand. So one of the things that was interesting was that, you know, her friend had done the, this, you know, discovered Till Swan and, and talked about her and all of that and said, Hey, you know, you should check her out, whatever. So, so this person that I was talking to did check her out. And, you know, it was interesting because her reaction to it was, you know, I didn't quite understand what she was about and like it just seemed like a lot of double talk and a lot of arrogance and stuff. So there was like a immediate hit. But I what I thought was really smart about how they reacted to it additionally for their for themselves is like it's just interesting how trauma attracts trauma. Yes. And so if she speaks to you May you know there's something there that that that's that's attracting that or that you find uh, really valuable. Another person gave us a little bit of a shout out on Spotify, just saying, "Gosh, this episode was amazing. It's really interesting to be listening to her on Instagram, and that this person agrees with a lot of the stuff she says." But I also see what you're saying about her. Like I could talk to you about about her for hours. So they really enjoyed our episode because it's like. This is someone who follows her and likes her mm-hmm. stuff, you know, but it's like, wow, okay. But I also see what you're saying about yeah. her. So it's been really interesting. And then again, I've had other countless people kind of reach out and, and say things and found it, just found it interesting. So if you haven't listened to that episode, give it a shot. But today we are on to I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is seven. I, I watched seven episodes. I hope that's how many there that's were. That's how many there were. <laughs> okay, good. Because I was like, it goes on and on and on. Yeah. Like, I just thought, when does it end? Uh, it's an it's on HBO. And it came out in June. So, you know, this has been out for a while. So hopefully you guys have seen it. And, you know, there's like six hours of material there. And uh, I'll let Kathy take it from here. Yeah, I, I you know, I know that this came out last year. You and I had talked off the air about how we had never really discussed 
much on the Golden State Killer. And I thought that this was a different kind of documentary because there were two very different things going on that were related. So there was like, you know, the two parallel stories and then you ha- the, the way that they intertwine is through uh, a woman by the name of Michelle McNamara, who I'll talk about in a moment. But I'll Be Gone in the Dark is a, is a book that was ended up being completed by her team and her husband, Patton Oswalt, but it was started by her and it was her search for the Golden State Killer. It's a true crime book written by her about the investigation to uncover the Golden State Killer. It was released, the book was released February 27th, 2018, nearly nearly two years after McNamara's death, which I'll talk about, and two months before an arrest would be made in the case. So, And I'm going to talk about both of these stories briefly, and then Shannon and I will have a discussion about this. But he was, for some reason, and they go into a little bit about this in the first couple episodes, about how the Golden State Killer was very good at remaining undercover for a long time because it was in the age of... Ted Bundy and some of these other guys who had taken the front seat to the serial killing focus that was going on. There was a huge, you know, paranoia and and people were panicking about it. But this guy, he had represented himself in so many different ways in so many different dimensions. He even had a few different names. And Michelle McNamara was the one who actually coined Golden State Killer before that. Yeah, I was, thought that was so interesting. I right? didn't, I obviously didn't know that. I, I don't know much about this case. Well, I know a lot more about it now than I did before watching this documentary. I found it really educational. Really was. So he was known first as the East Area Rapist. He was up in the Bay Area in California. Um, and then he was also known as the original Night Stalker. So, you know, who is he first? The Golden State Killer, Joseph James D'Angelo's, who we figure out uh, due to Michelle and her team, And I'll get to that. He was a serial rapist turned serial killer who terrorized Californians in the 1970s and 80s. The killer was at large for decades until DNA evidence led to the arrest of D'Angelo in 2018, who pleaded guilty in June 2020. You know, he was um, responsible for a series of burglaries, rapes and murders that took place across the state of California. He was most often... I think a lot of it happened up in the Bay Area, Um, but he was also in Southern California between 1979 and 1986. He was dubbed the original Night Stalker who took um, the lives of 10 different people. And it wasn't until DNA analysis, which which was much later than that, that um, they revealed that the rapes and murders had been committed by the same perpetrator. And so that was part of the issue was he wore different hats and and he started off really um, as someone who ransacked and, and vandalized and then that moved into burglaries and then that moved into rape and then that moved into murder. As we see with so many, right? All right. the practice, right? All the, the practice. The ransacking was really just like, the practice how am I going to do this how am I going to be what am I capable of what am I going to do and then in this documentary you do eventually figure out you find out and they do discuss sort of his trauma and where he came from yeah and a little bit of that so you begin to understand where all of that came from and it's so funny because there is 
no less than 10 monikers he got. Oh, my gosh. I mean, everybody knows him as a Golden State Killer now, now. because of Michelle, mm -hmm. you know, creating that term. And that was because her research was so involved that she realized he wasn't just the East Area Rapist. He was also the Visalia Ransacker and the Creek Bed Killer and the yep. Diamond Knot Killer and the Night Star. <laughs> Which is like why they couldn't things. catch him. Exactly. Because yeah. he moved around. Mm -hmm. He moved around. He moved around. Which and is a very successful way to go when there's no DNA. Right. This is, is why these guys period. were able to get away with so much. Sure. And what he was really known for, his his style, I guess, yeah, and where so they were speak. able to <laughs> start to hone in on him was what he was really known for was attacking couples. So he'd break into a house. He'd have the female victim tie up her male partner. And he would do things like ask the male partner or ask the female partner to put a dish on the male partner's head and then basically say, if this falls off your head while he's raping the wife or girlfriend or partner, um, then he's going to die, right? He's going to shoot the male partner. So imagine yeah. the intensity, the anxiety, all of this going he on. He loved the control, the he controlling and the psychological control, right? And all the fear he would see in you. Ugh. And so one of the things that, that Shannon was talking about, which is relevant to this is, and I'm not going to go into a ton of his history, but Clearly people like this have been traumatized and what we know about his father, his father was um, a corporal punishment guy. He mm -hmm. would pull them all out uh, as children and he would, you know, beat them up one by one and, and D'Angelo James got it the worst. Mm -hmm. So he was beat pretty badly in front of his siblings and vice versa. And uh, also another thing that we know about him is he watched his seven-year-old sister get raped by two military officers when he was younger. That was so revealing when they talked about yeah. that in the show because I just thought, well, there's the there's the match between violence and sex that yep. would have happened to many sexual predators. There's this point when there's a coupling of pleasure and violence and then enacting that yep. for the rest of his life. That's I just right. thought that was, I was like, Oh yeah, there's okay. that paired association. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so he actually, his initial victims were teenage girls. And then he, as he grew and became more arrogant and proud of his work, then he started, Oh, I'll do two people at once and I'll, you know, do adults and so on and so forth. And so that what Shan was saying, all these different names are because I think more so than a lot of other serial killers, he really changed form through these decades. If we look at Ted Bundy, you know, maybe Bundy started off doing something else, but once he started killing, it was pretty consistent in his population pool. This guy was all over the place. He was compulsive. Yeah. He never left clues or, or show his face, you know, so there were, there was weird, really weird stuff with him that made it a lot more complicated for him to be caught. And again, the absence of DNA, you could leave whatever you wanted. It wasn't until later. So, well, and we found out later, of course, that the, you know, there would be familial stabilizing factors in his home, relational factors that he would stop all of it for. Yeah. Whenever, yes. Oh my God. Whenever he would have a baby, whenever he, there would be someone in his home that he actually cared about because they had people in this doc talking about how they knew him as a different person than That's they, right. and he was never awful or violent with them. And mm -hmm. he was, you know, he was a caregiver to them or what have you. So there was this crazy dialectic going on where if with, when he would have this stabilizing factor, this, whatever it was, corrective experience that of course never stuck 
he wouldn't do what he was doing. And that's why there are these large gaps. And I think what we know in studying these guys quite a bit now is it's like, that's a pattern that you see. Yep. It's something will come into their life that'll stabilize them for a while yep. and they won't have to get that supply elsewhere. They'll be getting whatever they need in a more adaptive way as opposed to a maladaptive way with Agreed. all of the violence. Yeah. He actually reminded me, you and I did a series on Dr. Death a yeah, while yeah. back. Absolutely. And um, we had talked about another, I can't remember if it was him or another guy that we had talked to. Maybe you can refresh my memory on the Shannon, mm. but it was one of these killers watched his mother die. Yeah. It wasn't Christopher Dunch, which is no, the it one wasn't Dunch. Yeah. It. Yeah. But this guy was, he watched his mother die and then he yep. spent the rest of his life basically killing his patients. Yes. Who were all elderly women. Yeah. Yes. So like to how me, on the nose is that it's right? ridiculously on the nose. And so that was his population. It was that corrective experience for him I feel like all of these things that D'Angelo witnessed as a kid it was almost this was his compulsion was to relive those experiences but having a sense of control and the guy was we were talking about as Harold Shipman thank you Harold and, yeah, Shipman. And we, he we was did a, crazy. we did an episode on him and yeah those were interesting episodes we didn't go past those two because we found that they were all the same yeah. But he that there his motive reminded <laughs> yeah. me a lot Super of interesting. of this guy. So how does Michelle McNamara come into this whole thing? Mm -hmm. Well, one, yes, she wrote the book I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is the name of the documentary. But she was an American true crime author, and she helped coin the moniker Golden State Killer, which I mentioned. She had become really encapsulated by this case, and she was really curious how he had gone so long and he is unknown at this point although there was all of this information about this guy and all of these deaths that she became really obsessed mm -hmm. with figuring this out and at the time she was married to Pat Oswalt they had a they have a daughter together who was born in 2009 and Patton was they seemed like they had a really great marriage. They had a great partnership. He like legitimately loved her with every, like his whole life was his wife and his daughter. And so we know that to no fault of his own, he wanted to support her and her passion in seeking this out. But he admitted that he didn't realize that her addiction to prescription pills was far worse than he knew. And she would mention things like, oh, I'm taking this to sleep or I'm taking this to function today because she would talk about it so casually. And what we know about addicts is if they can fully function, air quote, without anybody knowing that they're suffering internally, especially with things like opiates, right? Yep. As what I think it seems pretty obvious is as she became more entrenched in this story and wanting to figure it out. I mean, she and her team would go to lengths of like going to departments and, and, and taking records back and kind of taking them hostage and going through them and up all hours of the night. And she had files among files among files that they found after she passed of how much she had already written. And they had not yet found out who it was before she had passed. And she ends up, you know, dying of an overdose in 2016. Shortly after that, her team and Patton say, we need to finish this book. 
we need to finish this book. This is what she would have wanted. And there's so much here. And they start to go through her files. They start to read even more and they're able to complete this book, which then leads the investigation to really helped um, the investigators figure this out. I think it was a major contribution just because she brought so much attention to this. And I think that what's so interesting and so disconcerting about this whole case was this man was allowed to live his entire life without being caught. Mm-hmm. You know, he had a beautiful home. He had family and he, he didn't get arrested till 76 or 75. Only last year when yeah, you watch the 72. trial, when you watch the trial, he's got COVID masks on him is recent. Yeah. Really recent. And I think that was what was, you know, what they represent in there is it's pretty debilitating for some of the victims because, it's exactly what they were trying to fight for is his capture. And then it's kind of what you would expect. He lived this whole life. Kids, daughters, in fact. Suburban home. He was a police officer, retired from the police department, pension, etc. Yep. That's right. He was a police officer. And That's a big two part months after mm-hmm. he retired from the police department. Mm hmm. He was arrested and then continued on in the trial to be a sociopath and lie and pretend mm-hmm. like he was in couldn't function and hang his mouth open. And then of course they had all these like videotapes of him in prison in his cell, doing all kinds of things, cleaning and yeah. climbing on the rafters. He was perfectly fine. And in court he was like, you know, I'm so old and infirm Yeah, to try to not get 40 million sentences. But of course they slapped the book at him and, yeah. Off he went to prison. That's a, a huge piece I left out, which was he was with the with law enforcement for so long and also gives us, you know, more information how he was able to get away with things for so long too. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So as far as the documentary is concerned, I enjoyed it. I thought the seven episodes was a bit much personally. Yeah. My attention did wane quite sure. a bit. Now, you know, we've I'll have spoilers in the title of the, you will have already seen there's like spoilers in the title of this doc, even though it's from June, I'll put that just so that those who haven't seen it can see it first because we've already obviously, because when you watch this documentary, if you don't know anything about it, you learn all of this through the course of the documentary. Like when I watched it, it was like, oh shit. Oh really? Oh my. Oh, she's dead. Wait, what? You know, like I Mm -hmm. learned all of that along the way so if you're listening to it and you haven't seen it i don't think it it ruins it necessarily because you probably know the show but what i will say is the seven episodes was a bit much for me they they do have these two big things they are trying to track they are tracking michelle's whole story and they are tracking the trajectory of this case so i did see some people's reactions to it were that all they wanted was the true crime and the story about this woman, Michelle, you know, they didn't give a shit. They were just like, well, all that stuff about Michelle got in the way of me hearing about some other killer. Right. Cause they're just not coming into it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And then there was another perspective in some of the reviews that were like, once Michelle was deceased in the story, it like lost a lot of zest for me because I wanted that section to be the most important. But then there was like three more episodes after that because so much freaking happens. It does. And, and, and the way that I feel that they tied it nicely was what we have to remember is her relationship with law enforcement is what 
earned her this unusual level of cooperation from law enforcement. Like she, most people cannot just walk into a department and go, I need to look at these files. Right. She developing the relationship with law enforcement was what led them to finding they the son of a bitch. They talked a lot about how she had this ability. Well, any in good investigative reporter has mm-hmm. this ability because most of her published work is in Los Angeles Magazine. Right. It's mostly articles. So it's like, except for the posthumous book that was obviously put together with, you know, a large chunk of her, her writing was there. And it's like, I I noticed that there's HBO talks about this series as a six part series. And now there is a seventh episode on that we watched. Right. So when it first came out, there was only six episodes because uh, that makes sense to me because when I was reading the seventh, when I was reading, I wasn't reading anything. When I was watching the seventh episode, it did feel like a tag on. Yeah. Did it feel like that to you? It did. Cause it's about something else, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And you know, they, they leave the Michelle piece for a while and fill you in with all of D'Angelo's stuff. So the, I think so when they go back to the book release, it makes sense why that was such a big deal. Right. Um, so I personally, I agree with you. I, I think that there's a lot to cover basically. It's hard to do that. I think Yeah. it's hard to condense all of that stuff and may have it clip along. So those first several episodes, I'd say like maybe the first four or whatever it is, went before she dies and then when she dies, that episode about her and what happens to her, like I was riveted the whole time up until yeah. that point. I might have been one of those people that was more in it for Michelle's story than the killer's story, probably because of what we do and how often, <laughs> like yeah. how often we talk about these things. And then of course those other couple of episodes were interesting in the sense that of course I wanted him to get caught. So I wanted to see the whole story. And I think what's good about this story is that as a viewer, as a person who is vicariously understanding and learning about this, you do get this really full story, the whole trajectory of his awful quote unquote career as an awful person. Yep. And also Michelle's part of her life and what she was giving up to be, that's right. To be a part of this. So I do think that that is well covered. Yeah. Like you said, two different things going on is, I mean, that's better than a seven part series on one thing, which we've seen before. Yeah. Oh God. Oh um, God. so sometimes for- it's four parts and it's like, okay, yeah. It could have been two or a movie. That's right. <laughs> so overall, I mean, I would recommend it if you're interested in this dynamic, or interested in this story. Um, I think it's a good documentary. Yeah, and I did, I personally couldn't get through this without mentioning that, you know, she died of an accidental overdose. That's how it was ruled. And there were a lot of prescription drugs in her system. Just from what we know, I'm, I don't know her. I haven't read the reports or any of that, but that, that's what's reported. And this time period where she died in 2016 was a time period where fentanyl use was this silent killer because what had started to happen is that opiates, of course, heroin, et cetera, were, had been around for decades. Mm-hmm. Then opiates came onto the scene, oxycodone, et cetera, et cetera. And then what started to happen is fentanyl, you know, Michael Jackson, like a lot of people, yep. fentanyl. And But then fentanyl deaths started to come because no one was going to, I don't know, like I said, I'm not speaking from a knowledge of her situation. I'm speaking generally that 
fentanyl is not something you will get prescribed by a doctor in general. It's used in the hospital. So people who get this amount of prescription drugs or fentanyl or any of that are usually getting it from creative sources. And so what started to really happen is that people would give you fentanyl instead of whatever other opiate you were used to having. But also the level of your addiction was getting more and more and more where you needed more and more opiate to sleep or whatever it was that a person is using it for. And so then all of a sudden we started to see all of these fentanyl, these accidental overdoses with fentanyl Mm -hmm. in the last many years. And, you know, people I know have died of this and, and that has become this thing that has happened in the opiate community. But of course, she had Adderall and Xanax and all these other things for anxiety. And she was self-proclaimed to have had struggled with depression her whole mm-hmm. life. And so when you talk about the obsessive nature of doggedly going after this case up all night, all the time, 24 seven, seven days a week, at least that's the way they portrayed it. Mm-hmm. It's chicken and egg. Yep. Because that's that the addict personality is going to go down those kinds of rabbit holes and vice versa. The addiction is going to fuel it and then it's going to cause more addiction. So it's definitely a, a round robin. We don't know which came first, et cetera. But she was uniquely personally equipped to do this beautiful amount of work to help these people catch this killer and it's unfortunate that part of her personality actually equipped her. It's like both a strength and a weakness. That's right. And that's so true of so many of our personalities, right? The things that can kill us or are our worst traits are often the things that supply some of our most major achievements. And she was very aware. You know, she would say things like, I, I'm obsessed and I know it's unhealthy. And um, Oh, yeah. She, you know, she, she was said, very aware. I have a true crime addiction. And that's how it started. But then, of course, it got way out of control. Yeah. If you want to, obviously, the book is available. It's on audio. It's available to read in, in, in the real world as opposed to audio. The blog, that I mean, the article for LA Magazine that originally started it, started this whole thing is in the footsteps of a killer, which is the one she wrote in February of 2013 that started her kind of launch into a lot of credibility. And then she was able to get a lot more access after LA Magazine published that. And then there are, you know, a couple of dozen more articles that she published, but those they are all still up on LA Magazine that you could read. And then her true crime daily. There are a couple of different true crime dailies like dot coms now. <laughs> Hers is true crime diary.com. So if and it's still up and you can still read it if you wanted to go down that. Uh, don't confuse it with True Crime Daily, which is a very popular like true crime website type of deal. But anyway, wanted to throw that out there. Her work's all still very available and can be accessed if you're interested in this case or her right. her life. Yeah. yeah. So cool. got out there. All right. So we recommend it. It mm-hmm. was really good. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.